<laughs> Praise God. Who's this? They need this. There you go. Um, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. It is always good to hang out with God's people. Uh, I like to be with Tim and Sue. I like to hang out. It was like coming home last night to Brian and Chrissy's because I've been really busy. We just uh, came back from, came from rugby and moved on. And I can attest that Keith and Barb are very involved because I run into them all over the world. And uh, all of what was said is true, everything. What I enjoy is that it is not just true in the sense that they are involved, but their gift is significant involved. Uh, what they do in Mongolia, what they do in other places with other churches, they bring, uh, well, I sit on board, one board with you in the O2H board, and it's significant that this man, as busy as he is, uh, I'll be over in Seattle, and if I email him, he responds instantly. Uh, he's that kind of guy, and you can't keep that up if you are in charge of too many things. So it's important that you do release him, but that doesn't mean release him like let him go. It means pray for them. It really does mean endorse that they're significantly touching other groups. And they, I want to represent those other groups and say thank you. They're not just released, they're received. And they have been received. They're received wherever they go. So you need to know it's a good thing what you're doing. This is not leaving the church vacant. It's extending your government beyond your church, okay? Did you hear that? It's extending your influence, your significance, and your life. And boy, do we say thank you. There's Chinese people that say thank you. There's Mongolians who say thank you. There's a lot of people here in the UK, fellow British citizens who say thank you. There's citizens in the US, but we're all citizens of the uh, kingdom. There's Africa. What can I say? They all say thank you. India, they all say thank you. Okay, did I get that clear? This is not just a job. This is an extension. So your influence, Basildon, is known because of people like them who also touch other places. It's a good thing. So celebrate and say, wow. And do that with great dignity. I do greet you on behalf of my wife, my grandchildren, my daughters, my son-in-law, and a whole host of other people who live in America who are unknown by you but very known by me. All the pastors in the U.S. greet you, all of them. I represent them. And I just came from rugby, so Alan greets you, and that's my job. My job is to connect you, and we'll do that. Now, I'm going to be looking at a, a passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 4, which is quite well known. And sometimes it, in your headings, it'll be called the temptations of Jesus. I'd like to alter that a bit from the text itself. First of all, we all get tempted. Yep. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and it's various kinds of temptations. I remember when I was a young man in seminary, I was working full time in a church and going to school and getting a master's degree and so forth. Very busy time. New father. It was very busy time. But I remember sitting in the coffee shop and I uh, I wanted to. Uh, call my fellow leaders at that time they were leaders of youth and, and we had a huge group of kids and it was just exciting and I wanted to call them but inside I had this feeling I did not want to call them. Do you ever get that where you don't want to do something? And you can tough it up and try to go against it but it's a drag. So what I don't know if the Holy Spirit brought it, uh, probably was 
I thought, I'm going to pray about this right now. And I said, if this thought of I don't want to call my friends, because I love these people, why wouldn't you want to call your friends? If this is from Satan, in the name of Jesus, I, I cast it out now. And instantly it left. That was a temptation. That wasn't what Jesus was going through. We all have those times where we must listen to the Holy Spirit in very normal areas of life uh, because we're tempted. Okay, But this is called a test of Jesus. Because Jesus says, lead, pray, lead me not into temptation. Well, then why would the Holy Spirit immediately after Jesus' baptism, where the Holy Spirit falls, he's called into ministry. God in heaven says, this is my son. Because, see, Jesus in his baptism had agreed, I will do what you ask me to do, Father. I'm going to do it. It wasn't just a nice little ceremony. It was a declaration to God and the Holy Spirit descended. It was a moment. And everybody who was there would say, wow. John the Baptist said, wow, I've baptized a lot. I've never seen that. And he was led immediately after that calling and that agreement and that transaction that took place. That's when he was led into the wilderness, which, by the way, is a place where nobody goes. I mean, I go to Palm Springs. It's a desert city. We love it, but it's all irrigated green and nice and golf courses. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm going into the wilderness because it's got everything I need. Jesus was led into the wilderness to get outside in, in the wild or wilderness. It was a lonely place, God forsaken type place. It was a place that was unique. Now, a test already this morning, as different than a temptation, is one that is significant to your future. It is not just a momentary thing. It, it, it will alter the course of where you go. So when Barb mentioned the uh, Isaac on the altar, I mean, this was a test of Isaac. This was a test of Abraham. Do you know? Maybe you don't know it. There was a time where God uh, had made many promises to Abraham, and then God tested him years later with his grown son, his only son, the one they had waited for 90 years, his only, literally 90 years, his only son, and God said, I want you to sacrifice him. And in the middle of that sacrifice him, God said, no. I have a provision for you. Okay, if you don't know the story, go back to the Old Testament and you can read it, okay? It's there in the book of Genesis. But that was more than a temptation. That was a test. And it was very much the same test God went through when he sent his own son Jesus to die on a cross. Sacrifice his son. But because Isaac could never pay for the sins of the world, God stopped him and said, okay... You understand what's going on here. You're going to follow me no matter what. You are ready to do the task. This is the test that Jesus experienced with what I'm about to read. This was a test. The whole future was at stake. This was not just a minor thing. Jesus was not acting on a stage. Oh, this is, uh, Father, this is test number one, test number two, test number three. This was reality. And at the end you'll see, and Satan left him, and we'll come to that, and he looked for another opportunity. The Garden of Gethsemane is another one of those tests. Mm -hmm. And it was a real test. 
And in that test, he sweat as it were drops of blood. I have never had that kind of a test. That kind of a test had to be so significant. Have you ever been worried, depressed, anxious, fearful? Any of those things, multiply it a hundredfold or maybe a thousandfold, you'll understand the difference between his test and just an experience. We all go through bad experiences, right? Not all of them are tests, but some are. Some are tests. How are you going to do this? How are you going to make this happen? Let's now read the text, okay? Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read it in a paraphrase called the uh, message. But it's the same no matter where you read it, so don't worry about it. But it may not agree or look exactly the same words. It's okay. And it's titled, Tested by the Devil. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. He was fasting. And when time was up, he was hungry. The devil playing on his hunger gave the first test. Since your God's son command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. You say, well, what kind of test is that? You just say no. Uh Uh-uh. It would have altered how he did ministry the rest of his life. Instead of operating by the Spirit, he'd operate by his own authority. And uh, Jesus answered, quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to really live. See why I like the freshness of the message there? Because we get so used to that word order, it just turns into like a... Like a little mantra of some sort. It was not. He's he's saying, I've learned to really live and I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to give everybody what they want. I'm not going to just turn things to make a following of people who follow me, who do everything I want them to do. It was more than just him turning. It was like, and now I'll do it for you, 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 and you, and you, and you. And later the Spirit did tell him to multiply bread, okay? So it wasn't wrong to do. It was wrong who told him to do it. And what for? And when the crowds wanted Jesus to constantly turn, uh, magically show up bread-like in the wilderness when the Israelites left Egypt, manna on the ground, he wouldn't do it for them. And he told them, you can't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, he lived that life. This was a test. This was hard. This was difficult. It wasn't just, I'm a little hungry. Uh, Could you... I mean, if I was God, I would just turn it into a Mac. You know, a Big Mac sounds really good when you're really hungry. Does not sound good when you're normally hungry. But when you're really hungry, those golden arches look pretty good. And I don't even like McDonald's, but I'll go there when I'm really hungry. Do you get it? Now we'll come back to that one. I'm going to, I've already started first. That's the first test. The second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. And what's this translation or paraphrase says, he led him up. It says, he led him up to a high place. High places are not just like. Let's go up to a mountaintop. 
All throughout Scripture, there's this thing called the high place. It's a place where principalities dwell. It is a place, place that's significant, meaning how in the world could I get onto even Mount Rainier? In, that's a 14,000 foot mountain. I see it right out where I live. I, I could get on Mount Rainier, but I'm not going to see all the kingdoms of the world. This is not just a high place, meaning tall, way up. This was a place where the enemy had the right to show Jesus everything that was, and he showed him every kingdom of the world. And the devil said, They're yours. All their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me. Worship me and they're yours. The whole works. Wow. Now you'd say, how could Jesus? That's easy. Jesus knew who he was and said, uh-uh. He already knew his destiny was for him to rule all over this. This is a shortcut. A shortcut to get to the same place that you feel called that the Holy Spirit put his spirit upon you. This is just, I got another way and it's better and you don't have to go to a cross. I'll give them to you. I'll give them up to you. the same thing. Oh, gee. It's almost as if he said, he didn't say this, but it's, it's like, I'll worship you if you worship me. You know, let's share this throne. Let's share this together. The two of us doing business, we can really accomplish this. This happens even in business literally where some people who are unequally, you'll come together and don't share the same anything. And boy, does that rip people apart. Well, whatever. Whatever. Jesus refused. Again, backing the refusal with Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve Him with absolute single-heartedness. Because we know Jesus was divine, you can mistake this as just kind of like a theater. This was not. This He saw all of this. He saw that the devil had the right to, to give him these places, but he had to worship the devil, the Satan. He had to just tweak it a bit. And Jesus, being fully man and fully God, at that point said, no. There's only one way. And I think he had an inkling even at that time. It meant the cross. So Satan was saying, you don't have to... And a lot of... I have actually heard people say, you know, it really wasn't that hard for Jesus to go to the cross because he knew he was going to raise again. And I look at them and say, so do you. (laughs) And then why do you avoid the cross of your life when you also know that you're going to raise again? No, it was painful. All of that on the cross was not a... Uh, an act. It actually changed history because he was willing to suffer. So we can get onto that later, but uh, this is the test right now. Serve the Lord. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on top of the temple. I like that. He put him on top of the temple. Okay. He said, if you're God's son, and by the way, the temple was just a crowds of people. So there'd be people. You know, this would be a great demonstration of Jesus all the angels coming and picking him up and not letting him fall. You know, this was, this was really catchy. If you're God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. So you won't not so much as stub your toe on the stone, Jesus. 
Now, I would postulate to you, and I don't know if this is true, this is not biblical, but, it, I, you know, I look at it like, if this is a real test, it's a real test. It's not like an act. If Jesus did jump, I don't think he would have survived. Whenever you tempt the Lord your God, which you don't do, you don't act as if you can walk on water when he hasn't told you you can walk on water. I remember one guy in Chicago actually went to the end of the pier, Navy Pier, and was going to show his congregation, had the whole church out there, and said, I'm going to walk on water today. He went out there, walked on water, fell into the pier, and almost drowned. So many people come up with their own ideas of how to prove I'm somebody. That's the temptation that is a test. Don't do it that way. It is written, he said, and Jesus said, it is also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. <laughs> wow. That completed the testing. The devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. And then as he returned, uh, in Matthew it actually says, um, angels came and ministered to him. Don't know what they did. Did they prepare a meal? I would imagine if I was being ministered to, it's whatever I need now. God will provide. Uh, testing is an interesting thing. Let's take test number one. Now, the difference between a temptation and, and a test is that basically you're going to go through something that always will interfere with the call God's already put on your life. For David, it was wandering in the wilderness and kill Saul. For David in the Old Testament. For you or for I, testing is a, uh, uh, an interesting thing that is more than just uh, to see. I, well, I'll give you an example. I bought a house with a friend you know, who lived next door. We decided, let's live next door to each other. I bought a house. Just as the... Uh, you know, isn't this the way it goes? The interest rates on houses went up to 15%. I mean, the next month. My friend was going to back out. And I'd already signed all the papers. And so I went to a lawyer. Don't you go to a lawyer? Boy, you need lawyers when you need lawyers, right? As much as we badmouth them, boy, when you're, when you're stuck in a rock in a hard place, and 15% interest is not exactly a cool thing, right? It's fine. Huh? Yeah. So, all of a sudden, I was moving from a house that had a 7% interest, or 6%, and now it was going to be 15 And I didn't make much money. So, my friend was going to back out. We're backing out. So, I went to a lawyer. and I, He's a Christian lawyer. And I said, what's right? And he basically, he's a good friend, but, but he basically said, you've got to look out for number one, which is you. Right? And so now I'm getting good godly counsel from a good godly lawyer. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what made me do it. I says, I cannot break a contract of my word with someone. And he looked at me and smiled. Because he knew he'd give me good lawyer advice, but I took a different advice from a different kingdom. That's a test. That's a test. But that wouldn't just be a test for me as I was pioneering a new church. That would be a test that would set the course of my life for the future of integrity. 
fail that one and it wouldn't be just a temptation. Mm-hmm. You know, pick it up, go the next day. We all fail at minor things. But there's sometimes, there's a test, and you know it's a test, and this, if you listen to the voice of the Spirit, He'll say, do it this way. All the legal advice would be, say, do it that way. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not something you're left alone. You're led of the Spirit to make a decision that does not make sense for moi, me. And true discipleship always will ask these kinds of things out of you that you will obey God even when it does not work out good for you on paper. And the reason, what makes it a test is for you it's just a story. I'm telling a story. For me there was anxiety and involvement and future. And so for the reason it was a test for me is I was afraid of my future and I would take control of my own future. It's, it's happened a few times in my life where I've had tests like this. But the first one is the idea of turning bread, or stones into bread. Uh, and, and Jesus responding to that. William Barclay says this, We will never find life in material things. It's the church's real task to produce new men and give the new men the conditions that will uh, the conditions will and the new conditions rather will follow. In other words, if we're going to see a new humanity, we're going to see doing things God's way, and it's not about material things. The temptation for churches is to copy successful churches. There's nothing wrong with learning from other churches, but what does the Spirit say? Versus what does man say? There's times in my life I've, I've gone the, the way the business says this is the best way to go. And it worked for a season, but it did not produce life. And you learn later, hey, turn away from those kind of things. Stay, stay, uh, uh, stay true to what the word of the Lord has taught you in good times and bad times. Temptation of material things is a real one in our society anyways. Just normal temptation. I mean, TV commercials work. As much as you British hate commercials, because you don't have them on the BBC, sort of. There's little commercials, you just don't notice them. Us Americans kind of notice, oh, that was a commercial. But anyways, regardless, independent TV or whatever, the reason you guys like to buy things is you found out about them somehow in the newspaper. The the whole goal of adverts is to create an appetite for things. You'll be much happier if you own an iPhone 6. If you own an iPhone 6S, you'll really be supremely happy and you'll rule well. You know, it's all based on this lying. If you own this kind of car, you're going to attract every woman, not that I want to right now, but you're going to attract all the girls, you know, because look at the lady who's attracted to that car. It's just amazing. And it could be reversed in all sorts of different ways, but do you know what I mean? Commercials work. I mean, they charge in our country on the Super Bowl, what is it? Uh, uh, two to six million dollars for a 30 second or 15 second commercial it works so temptations there but a test is how are we going to build the kingdom of God again quoting uh, the temptation for churches to copy successful ministries in our culture uh, there's nothing wrong with learning but did the Holy Spirit tell you to do that Second, uh, under this one, William Barclay, quoting him again, I like him. He's, it's a constant temptation to seek to win men by compromising the standards of the world, by compromising with. G. 
K. Chesterton said, the tendency of the world is to see things in terms of an inter, uh, indeterminate gray. But the duty of the Christian, I like this. This is, this is out of our, this wouldn't fit in our contemporary culture, but it is the duty of the Christian to see things in terms of black and white. As Carlyle said, the Christian must be consumed by the conviction of the infinite beauty of the holiness and infinite damnability of sin. <laughs> you don't hear that kind of preaching much, but you just did. But then I'm old. <laughs> in other words, sin is, is not a, a compromise. It's, it's damnability. There's things that are doing violence to the uh, purposes of God that look good. And, and the, the, the problem is, there are a lot of things that look good, but God's not in those good things. Okay, that's to test. I believe right now, the church of Jesus is going through tests. Not just you. This isn't about just you. Although it could include you. But remember this. The biggest tests are just when you're ready to do what God wants you to do. I mean, I have a sense God's going to break out. And, he, and right now the devil's saying, I'm going to test the church. I have a right to test you. Just like he tested Peter. Just like he tests anybody before. Just like he tested Job. The, this Satan has ability to do that. So I believe the church right now has some choice. The church, bigger than this church, the church of Jesus has some really important decisions to make. Will they do the cool thing, the conventional wisdom thing, or will they do what God's Holy Spirit says to do? Number two, the devil wants your worship. That's, uh, he, he, it, 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 the first thing the devil did, did was to tempt him to do the ministry a different way. The second one is actually to get the worship. We like to worship in our culture. Did you know that? We worship rock stars. We even worship worship leaders. <laughs> I think that's so funny. They're the rock stars of the Christian church. We worship worship leaders. Oh, they're so anointed. They're so, you know, it's okay, uh, but... There can become a point where we don't need Jesus anymore. We got so and so, whatever. We can worship pastors, technology. Oh man, don't we worship that technology? Do you, do you know? Uh, well, I'll, I'll say that at the end. I'll, I'll stop there. Uh, alcohol, drugs, sex, fame, power, self. We can worship ourselves. Fads, stuff, sports, entertainment, power, an idol. Now, let me define an idol. An idol is anything that comes between you and your worship of God. Okay? Anything, I'm going to say that again. Anything that comes between you and your worship of God, which includes your body as a sacrifice, living sacrifice that doesn't, as Billy Graham said, don't let it crawl off the altar. That includes your work, your day. Your, all day should be a worship. What I do is a worship. How I do it. To the glory of God. Okay? With single-heartedness to do everything to the glory of God. I'm going to read some questions. Okay, now, I'm not trying to arouse guilt. Uh, so get that one out. If you're one here that easily suffices, a preacher gets up and says things, and then you just get guilty, just kind of smile and say, That's, Jim's not meaning it that way. In fact, these are questions that aren't meant to provoke guilt. They're meant to provoke a sobriety, okay? I'm going to give you eight questions. They don't originate with me, but I'm living these questions myself, so I thought I'd pass them on to you. How do you know if you are being tempted to worship something besides God? Oh, I must insert this. 
Do you ever see in the Old Testament where it says they put away their household gods? Now, wait a second. You're a Jew. <laughs> Why do you have a household god? I mean, even the patriarchs had to put away their household gods. Why would God make the first? You shall worship no other god but me, for there is no other god. Why would God say this? Why? And no graven images. But just, why does he even have to say it? Because he is God. It's because humans will always find something else to worship. It's just in our fallen DNA. So I don't know about you, but it's not like when I chose Jesus, that's it. I'm, I am still tempted to have other gods. They come between me and obedience. They come between me and God. And they, I won't go off to, on that tangent, but I'll just say this. It is anything comes between you and your worship. Okay, here's the eight questions. I'll read them slowly. And I'm going to go with silence, which is uncharacteristic. But uh, where, where are these questions without feeling guilt? Okay, are, are you hearing me? I'm not trying to arouse guilt here. I'm trying to say, what do you do with these questions? Okay. Lord Jesus, don't let any false guilt fall on any of us. We don't need that stuff. That's how the devil manipulates us the other way. Okay. What thoughts occupy your mind when you have nothing else to think about? And again, not to arouse guilt, I think of my grandchildren, it's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, what thoughts, if I evaluate, so live that question, I'm going to be silent. What thoughts occupy your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Number two, if everything was taken from you and only God was left, would it be enough? No guilt, just examine. No, no, none of this. Oh, I'm not good enough. Don't, just stop that right now. But what's there? Just to find out what's there. Three, who or what triggers worry, anxiety, or depression? in your life. And we do have chemical depression. I understand that. This is not a guilt question if you're depressed today. It's more for the rest of us. What triggers guilt and depression? And what do you do about it? <laughs> Here's one. Who in your life you can't forgive? And why? Holy Spirit, minister to us, because you've got good news in these questions. Holy Spirit, minister to us. What have you sacrificed more, most? What have you sacrificed for most? What is, what is the thing that you've really sacrificed for in your life? Uh, it, it would be what, for which have you most sacrificed? In other words, you had to make a sacrifice in order to gain something or to achieve something. So, however the proper British grammar is, excuse the American murdering of your precious language. <laughs> Thank you, I know you would, I knew you would. 
Where do you spend your time and money? Is your relationship with God burdensome? Just feel weighed down by God. Burdensome. The, the reason for those questions is not to say, I do that, I do that, I do that. It is, how do you process? And if it's not making it through to the good news, then talk to God about it and say, I don't want any, I don't want to worship anything besides you. I want to put away any false gods. So this is not a guilt arousal, you know, like, well, man, I do that. I and mean, that guy must be perfect after all he said that and said that. It's not for the those questions are just to surface the kinds of things in our lives that might be in the test of life. Let's do it shortcut. I'm getting my joy out of A, B, C, D. Okay? But don't wear guilt, because guilt only drives you to need those things more. <laughs> it's an endless cycle of guilt and shame. It's not So be free. Be free. Let, it, let, it, let the Holy Spirit say, here's how you can be free. Because everyone's test is different, okay? Number three, the devil wants your worship. And he tries to push you. If he can't get your worship, this next step will try to drive you into super spirituality. Jump off, Jesus. Or the pastor that walked off Davy Pier. I'm glad I'm in a context of brothers and sisters who are very good at making sure I don't go beyond God. Do you know there's a passage? Scripture says in John, I think it's 1 John, says, watch out that you don't run beyond Jesus. You get gooder than God. I remember one time preaching on a very good subject. It was the subject of baptism. I was preaching eloquently, and I was persuaded, and I was going for it, you know, and I felt the Holy Spirit leave. You know, we who are pastors get scared every time we preach, because what if we're just preaching our own ideas? It will help, help no one. Even if it's clever, and people say, what? Oh, it's so good. But when you've asked Jesus to say, make me like a nail on a wall into which to put a picture of Jesus. If that doesn't happen, you know the minute you've gone beyond God. It was terrible. I finished that sermon so quick. It was now over. I, didn't, I was confused because I'd prepared so well. And I was so persuaded. Even my own father said, well, Jim, I don't know how much God was in that one. And you know, it's, it's, it, it was like, oh, man. I spent a week asking God what to do. He said, next week, get up and apologize. That wasn't for me. <laughs> and I did. I obeyed. I said, okay, last week's sermon, pr- probably, please, disregard it. It didn't come from the Lord. It was a man-made thing. And boy, are you free when you do that. When you follow the Holy Spirit, it sets everybody free. You know, I had to do it publicly because if I didn't do it publicly, there's going to be someone in my congregation who really believed that and was now going to go down a wrong path with my very good word, well-prepared and persuasive, but wrong. Not anointed with the grace of the Holy Spirit. So church, get ready. We're, we, we are, I think we're headed for an exciting time. I believe that 
the kinds of time, as it said in Matthew 4.11, after the test, the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. There's a point where we are about to do what Luke 4.18 said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, and that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors. And that time of the Lord's favor has come. He has rolled up the scroll. Jesus rolled that thing up, and he handed it back to the attendant, sat down, and everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, This scripture is being filled today! <laughs> There, there was power in that one too. That's the year of Jubilee. Uh, I don't know if you know it. He was not referring to just as like, here I am. He was saying, this is the first time the nation of Israel is ever going to really celebrate the year of Jubilee. And it's going to start now. If he hadn't passed the test, the rest of that passage in Luke would not have happened. Father, in the name of Jesus. I don't know why you even gave me this message, but I know it's for the churches I'm supposed to go to. I pray Satan can't tempt it out of us by saying, oh, well, I... I Lord, that we have... That we, it's okay to live questions. It's okay to live providing the Holy Spirit's there. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to pass the test. Hmm. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Now, if I'm worth my salt, you're getting encouraged, not discouraged. Mm -hmm. But if I have done it wrong, then I say to you, wait for the encouragement to come. Wait for the encouragement to come. In the name of Jesus. Amen.